Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. So glad to see you today. Um, it's great to be back with you today. I've uh, enjoyed some much needed time away and time off. Um, and I want to say thank you to uh, Gary Chevalier as well as to Rob Morris who filled in for me while I was gone. Uh, but I want to continue the message series called Savoring the Christmas Fruitcake, which Gary actually started a couple of weeks ago. And you know, when we sat down with our teaching team to talk about this series, I, I mean, my, honestly, my first response was like, I, does anybody even eat fruitcake? Like, I mean, it was so weird. And so I, I actually did a little research on fruitcake. Um, did you know that fruitcake was actually invented by the Romans? Yep, they invented, it was invented by the Romans because uh, the Romans, while they were conquering the known world, their soldiers would go on these long and extended marches, and they realized that dried fruit and nuts were excellent sources of energy for tired soldiers. But the problem was, was that the fruit rotted too quickly. But, but get this, they figured out that if they took that fruit and they dried it and they baked it in a cake with you know, liqueurs, covered it in powdered sugar, and then wrapped it in a brandy-soaked linen, that that fruitcake would not get moldy. And thus, the fruitcake was born. Right? I mean, it, literally, you military people, like, it's the original MRE. I mean, that's what it is, okay? Uh, but hey, get this, get this. That fruitcake would remain edible, unrefrigerated, for four years. I know! I was like, oh my gosh, for four years. So anyway, I, I've never had fruitcake. And, and like, in my whole life, I have never had fruitcake. And so, anyway, this is the same fruitcake that Gary had two weeks ago when he was here uh, speaking. And so I thought, I mean, this thing's supposed to be good to like 2022, right? So I, I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna eat a bite of this thing and just you know, see what it tastes, see, how, it, see how, it's, how it's going. I am gonna be careful though. I'm gonna take just a small piece because, well, you know, you might see it a couple of times, so be careful. Oh gosh, that's awful. Have y'all ever had this? It's terrible. How did this ever become a thing? Oh, oh gosh. Those Romans were tough. I can tell you that right now. No wonder they conquered the world, right? Mm. Don't ever do that, y'all. It's terrible. Okay, so anyway, oh, that's going to stay with me for a while. Um, hey, but here's the thing, and here's why. I wanted to bring a fruitcake up here, and I, I had a feeling it was probably going to be bad, but mm, I wasn't counting on that. Um, here's the thing. In life, we experience, you know, little fruitcake moments. We experience times in life when things are distasteful, when things don't sit well with us. And during those times, those fruitcake moments can get us distracted from what really matters most and what's most important. And especially during the Christmas season, these little, you know, little fruitcake moments that just happen during the holidays, they can get our eyes off of the real meaning of Christmas. 
And the real meaning of Christmas is the birth of God's son, Jesus Christ. And we don't want to get our eyes off of that. We don't want to miss that because we don't want to become so distracted by these moments in, in, in during the holiday season and just, you know, and how bad they taste that we forget that the real reason we celebrate is because Jesus was born. And after he was born, his message of good news conquered the world. And so for, for us, what are these like fruitcake kind of moments that can cause us to miss the real meaning of Christmas? Like, what are these things that become so distasteful, so distracting that they can help us you know, like, lose focus and get off focus of what Christmas is really all about? Because here's the deal. If we miss the real meaning of Christmas, if we miss Jesus during Christmas, then we miss what God wants to do in our hearts over the Christmas season. I'm going to tell you, like, I don't want any of us to miss what God wants to do in us over Christmas. And so, one of the things that can really distract us from the real meaning of Christmas is gifts, right? I mean, because Christmas is a lot about gifts. It, you know, it's, it's about, you know, getting the right gift, and it's about sending the right gift, and making sure that that gift arrives on time, and making lists of gifts, and receiving gifts of lists, and uh, or lists of gifts, and, you know, making sure that, you know, we give just the right gift to just the right person at just the right time, so that, you know, it's, it's good for them, and it blesses them, and it means something to them, and it also means something to us, and then, you know, when I get gifts, you know, do I keep that gift? Do I return the gift? Do I re-gift the gift, you know, next year? I mean, you know what I do? And, and then just sometimes just the sheer amount of gifts can get us so distracted that we miss the greatest gift the world's ever received, the gift of Jesus. And so here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at the very first gifts given on Christmas. And, and through those gifts... They can actually help us put our focus on Christ rather than be, be distracted from Christ. Now, the very first gifts ever given on Christmas were given by the Magi. And as you remember, the Magi, they showed up that very first Christmas season and they gave gifts to Jesus. And the gifts they give have carried some powerful messages for you and for me about Jesus. Now, here's the thing, though. The gifts they gave... <laughs> were not gifts you'd normally bring to a baby shower, right? Uh, I mean, there, there were no diapers, like no baby toys, no jogging stroller, no baby Bjorn carrier, okay? No, um, you know, I mean, not even a good pack and play. I mean, nothing that you would ever bring to a baby shower, okay? But what they gave on that first Christmas has an incredible message to you and to me to help us zero in and keep our focus on Christ. So let's read about what they gave and then we'll look at it, okay? So go ahead and look in your message notes. If you want to follow along in your Bible, that'd be great. We're in Matthew chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1, and we'll read on. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Skipping down to verse 7. Then Herod, that's the king, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they, they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of, and I want you to circle each one of these three gifts, gold and of incense and of myrrh. And now I want you to underline all of verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so let's go through these gifts. What is the significance of each of the gifts brought by the Magi? Well, the first one, first gift is the gift of gold. Here's your fill-in. That gold signifies the royalty of Jesus. Gold signifies the royalty of Jesus. Now, I mean, look, this was not really all that hard to understand, right? I mean, it, first off, if you were Mary and Joseph and, like, three dudes showed up, you know, and gave your newborn babe a big chest full of gold... I mean, your response would be like, well, I mean, look, I mean, we did not register for that at the Bethlehem outlet of Babies R Us, okay? <laughs> but we'll take it. You're right? And, and, but look, the gift of gold wasn't meant just to be a financial blessing to Mary, Joseph, and the baby. It was a message. And the message was that this gold signified that this child was royalty. Because remember, the Magi were looking for someone who was born king of the Jews. I mean, they knew he was going to be king. They knew he was royalty, and the gift of gold signified the fact that this child was royal. But here's the, here's the deal. They did not understand the extent of his royalty. There's no way that the Magi knew that not only was this child the king of the Jews, but that he was the king of kings. There's no way that they knew that his fame would last for thousands of years. There's no way that they knew that this little baby would rule the hearts of billions spanning the centuries. There's no way that they knew that there would never be one born with this amount of royalty. There's no way. Because Jesus was royalty, but more than that, because he's the king of all kings, because his reign extends farther than any other royal's reign has ever extended in all of history or will ever extend in all of history, because of all that, let me ask you one question. Here's the question. Is he your king? Is he your king? Now, you have to answer that question on two levels, okay? The first is simple. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life to be your king? See, part of being a Christ follower is asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of all your sins, okay? But that's just part of it. The other part of it is that when he comes into your life, he comes into your life to be your king. Jesus doesn't just come into your life just to sit there. He didn't just come into your life to just observe. He comes into your life and into mine to take over. Because, yes, he is our Savior, but he is also our King. But in order for him to come into your life, you've got to ask him. You've got to ask him to come into your life, and at that point, you make a commitment to follow him from that point forward. That's, what that, that's why we call it being a christ 
follower because you follow him. So have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to save you from the consequences of sin? And then have you made him king? That's what it means to be a Christ follower. So look, if you've never done that, there's a prayer. It's in your message notes. I want you to pray it. I want you to pray it today. Now look, if you've already prayed that prayer, okay, then there's a second level in which you have to answer this question, and that's this. Are you still following him as king? Now think about that. Are you still following him as king? Because here's the deal. It, it, for a lot of people, over a period of time, they end up demoting Jesus. Some people demote him to just becoming an advisor. I mean, they hear about the stuff that Jesus says in the Bible. They hear about things in church, and they're like, man, that is good advice. You know, people would be better off if they did that. But they just merely take it as advice, something that they could choose to do or not do. Other people have demoted Jesus to being a therapist. That, you know, when, when I feel bad or when I feel sad, feel sad or when there's a crisis going on or there's something that, you know, emotionally derails me in my life, that I go to Jesus and I pray to him because, man, I need him to fix something and I need him to make me feel better. And so I just, I treat him as a therapist. Other people have demoted Jesus to just simply being an activity director. That, you know, church is a place that I go to, I treat it like an activity and I enjoy it and I feel inspired and I feel motivated about it. But it never really changes how I think, how I talk, and how I act Monday through Saturday. Because church is just an activity, and Jesus is my activity director. So let me ask you the question again. Is Jesus still your king? Do you still treat him as king? Because that's what he is. And he's not just a king. He's the king of all kings. Forever. He's royalty. And do you treat him like that? And look, so let me just say, if, if you realize that you've never asked him to come into your life to be king, then ask him to come into your life to be king. Do it today. But if you've done that, and somewhere along the way, like, He's gotten off the throne of your life as king. Even if that's just happened by accident, you didn't even know it. Then make the decision today that you're going to put him back on the throne. Because whether you put him there or not, he's still king. Because that's who he is. He's royalty. He's the king of all kings. And that's what the first gift tells us. Here's what the second gift tells us. Number two, go ahead, let's, let's get to the second one. Number two is this. It's the gift of incense. And incense signifies the deity of Jesus. It signifies the deity of Jesus. I mean, honestly, incense, that's a, like a weird thing to give to a baby, don't you think? I mean, it, it'd be like going to a baby shower and everybody's opening all the gifts. And when they get to your gift, you've given them like literally one of the big monster Yankee candles. And then when the mom opens it, she's like, um, okay. She turns it over and, and to look at the scent. And it's not, it's not lavender, okay? It's not sugar cookie. It's not baby powder. It's incense. Like, it's spicy. 
And you're thinking, why did you give this to my baby? Like that's, because it's like a weird little baby gift. But here's the deal. The Magi didn't bring it because it's a great baby gift. Because it's not. They gave him the gift to point out the true nature of this child. That this child was deity by nature. Now look, here's the thing. It would be unrealistic to think that the Magi fully understood the true nature of Jesus. Okay, because look, remember, the Magi were from the Far East. Okay? They were more than likely polytheistic. They believed in lots of gods. So they probably believed that this child was a son of the gods, which we know that, like all those gods, we know that none of that's even real. There's probably no way that they realized that this child was the son of the God. It's hard to imagine they really would have thought that, but that's who he was. And we know that God only has one son, that Jesus is God's one and only son. So he is the son of the living God. That's who he was. And I'm telling you, that means that while Jesus was born of in human flesh, his nature was deity. That he literally is God come in the flesh. And I'm telling you, that, that, that changes everything. Because if, if Jesus is God come in the flesh, then whenever we look at Jesus... We get the clearest picture of who God actually is. In fact, the Bible even says that. Look in your notes there. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it's an incredible verse. It says, the Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the exact representation of his being. I mean, so some people think that you know, God is distant. You know, some people think that God is full of wrath. Some people think that, you know, God is up there with a scorecard. And every time I step out of line, you know, he's keeping score of my life. And he's, you know, really mad at me because, you know, whenever I step, you know, out of bounds. God is none of those things. Because Jesus was none of those things. And the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. So looking at Jesus, what is it that we can know for sure about God? We know that he's loving. We know that he's patient. We know from Jesus' teaching that he's a father and a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. We know that God can heal. We know that he can deliver us out of trouble. And even when he doesn't deliver us out of trouble, I'm telling you, he walks with us through that trouble. And, and he never leaves us alone. And most of all, we know that he's forgiving. So look, let me ask you this. When you think of God, what do you primarily think of? When you think of God, what do you primarily think of? You know, and chances are, you have some misconceptions about God because those misconceptions aren't based on Jesus. Because the best way to understand what God is truly like is to read about Jesus. So look, here's the deal. It, if it's been a little while 
since you've read the Bible, I want to encourage you today to start reading about Jesus. Because when you read about Jesus, you're reading about the exact representation of God. And you find the story of Jesus in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament. So make a commitment to start reading those. So read about the life of Jesus. Why? Because he's deity. He is the exact representation of God on earth. Okay? All right. Third gift. Here it is. Write this down. Third gift is the gift of myrrh, and it signifies the death of Jesus. I got to say, like, this has to be like the most awkward baby gift ever. Okay, I mean, seriously, and honestly, do you even know what myrrh is? I didn't know. I had to look it up. Myrrh was a, is a spice used in the Middle East, and it, it's, its aroma is so powerful, it's so pungent, that it was used to anoint the bodies of dead people. Because the smell of the myrrh would help counteract and even potentially overpower the smell of rotting flesh. Yeah, bring that to a baby shower. Yeah, that'd be good. But, but here's the thing. Again, they, were, they didn't bring it because it's a great baby gift, right? They gave this gift because it, it meant something. They gave the gift because it signified that the kind of death that this child would experience would change the world. There's, there's no way that they could have possibly, that these magi could have possibly understood the extent to which that would be true. Because when Jesus, look, when Jesus died on a cross, his followers thought that was it. They, they thought it was over. But when Jesus rose again three days later, his resurrection changed everything. Because it meant that what Jesus did on the cross that the, was a miracle. That Jesus on the cross miraculously took on the sins of the world upon himself. And when he died, his death paid the consequences for all the sins of everybody in the world for all time, past, present, future. And his resurrection proved that his claims of what he, was, what he did on the cross actually are true. And so the significance of Jesus' death has changed the world forever. It's changed me. And if you're a Christ follower, it's changed you. Because he's forgiven us for everything. And honestly, his death achieved something that no other world religion has ever claimed. Because in every other world religion, you are responsible to atone for your own sin. And you do that either by being reincarnated into something else or by paying the consequences of karma or by stacking up enough good deeds, hoping that they you know, counteract all the bad deeds that you've ever committed. Okay? But Jesus teaches us like none of that's true and none of it would even work because sins can't be worked off. Sins have to be forgiven. And the only one qualified to forgive sin is the only one who paid for it, and that's Jesus. He's the only one. So 
have you received his forgiveness? Again, you can only receive that by asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and making him your king at the same time. So look, please, I'm telling you, that prayer that's in your worship, God, if you've never prayed that prayer before, don't leave here today without praying it. Pray it today. You need it. And look, if you've prayed that prayer before, please, 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 don't become so familiar with the story of Jesus that you cease to be impacted by his death on the cross. Because his death on the cross changed everything, right? Now look, we could pray and pack it up right there and our hearts would be full, right? Because I mean, there, that is so much. But what I want to do, I want, for these last few minutes, I want us to take this to another level. And so how does the truth of those gifts impact me? How can the gifts the Magi brought Jesus help me not become distracted so that I miss the true meaning of Christmas? Here's a couple ways. Here's the first one. Write this down. First practical thing it means to me is that I need to give meaningful gifts when I can. Because look, all the gifts that the Magi gave, like, they all had meaning. So when you give gifts this Christmas, I mean, as much as you can, and I know you can't always, but as much as you can, give gifts that have meaning for them. Look, I know for me that the gifts I've received over my lifetime that have had meaning, those are the gifts that I remember. I don't remember, like, all the gifts that, were at the top, that I've received that are at the top of my Christmas list. I don't, I, listen, I don't remember all the expensive gifts that I've gotten. The ones I remember are the ones that had meaning to them, right? For instance, a number of years ago on Father's Day, Amy gave me this gift. And when I opened you know, the, the packaging, there was this silver-plated thing. I thought, what in the world is this? But when I opened it, here's what it was. It was a picture of me holding the kids on, and it was for Father's Day. And on one side was that picture. On the other side, impressed in plaster, are their little handprints. And it came with a card that said, it was from Amy, that said, you're a great dad. And you're a great dad because you make great impressions on our kids. And I was like, ah! <laughs> That was 12 years ago. And this is one of my most treasured gifts. And it sat on a shelf in my office where I see it every day. So you know what? At Christmas time this year, give gifts that have meaning. Because, because get this, when you give a gift that has meaning to it, you imitate God. Because God made sure that the Magi gave gifts that had meaning. Look, I mean, there's no way the Magi fully understood what they were giving. There's no way. God inspired them to give those things. So when you're thinking about gifts, pray about them. Ask God, what would you want me to give to this person? Because when you give a gift that you've prayed about, that you've thought about, and it has some meaning to it, you imitate God. Here's the second thing. 
Number two, I can hear from God after I give to God. Honestly, this is something I'd never seen before until Pastor Adam, the lead pastor at our North Katy location, um, pointed it out to me. This, is, this goes back to the part that I had you underline in verse 12. Because I want you to notice that God did not tell the Magi to go home a different way until after they gave their gifts to Jesus. God could have told the Magi, hey, you're going to go home a totally different way. He could have told them that before they started their journey. He could have told them that before they met King Herod. He could have told them that like right after they met King Herod. But that's not what happens. God doesn't tell them. He doesn't speak to them until after they give their gifts to Jesus. I, I, I was like, well, why? why? Why is that? Because look, here's the deal. Not only were those gifts incredibly meaningful, but those gifts were incredibly valuable as well. I mean, they had some real monetary value to them. All three of them did. Not just the gold, but all of them were very expensive. And in fact, those are the gifts that Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived on, the proceeds they lived on them, when they had had to flee from Egypt to get out from under Herod's reign. But here's the thing. I wonder if the Magi were tempted to keep some of those gifts for themselves. But because they gave all of it to Jesus, they showed themselves to be trustworthy to God. And so when they were trustworthy with that, God trusted them with the next thing by speaking to them again. Now, because here's the thing, all the time, I mean, the question I get all the time is, Pastor Mike, I just want God to speak to me. I, I just want God to tell me what to do. I mean, I've got this decision coming up, or I've got this thing, and I need to know what to do. I, I just want God to tell me what to do. But here's the thing. Why would God tell you more of what to do when you're not doing the things he's already told you to do? And one of those things that he's told you to do is to give. And I'm only talking about that because that's what this passage talks about. Because, look, here's the deal. Why would God trust us with something else if we haven't been trustworthy with what we've had before? Because, look, and here's the thing. Giving, it, it's not about money. Like, I know that that sounds so odd to say, but it's, giving is not about money. Giving is about trust. It's, am I trustworthy to God to do what he's already told me to do? God's already told you to give to him. And so when you're trustworthy to obey what he's already told you, then you are showing him that you are trustworthy, that you will obey the next thing that he will tell you to do. Because if you're not doing what he's already told you to do, why would he tell you more? You're already not doing what he's told you to do. So I want to tell you, give. Look, and a great way to start giving is with our annual Christmas offer. You've never given before. It's a great place to start because more than 80% of that money is going to go help children all over the world. None of the money is going to stay here. All of it goes to help children. or I'm sorry, 80% of it goes to help children. All of it goes outside of our church. Every dollar that you give the Christmas offering will help another child who's been trafficked sexually get his or her life back. It'll help kids in Africa get an education and break the cycle of poverty. It will help kids and families in our local area get a hand up in their time of need. But look, it's not just giving at the Christmas offering. God also tells us to give throughout the year. And so that's what you should do. You should give to God throughout the year. And again, it's not about money. It's about being trustworthy 
He's told you what to do. And if you want to hear from God, then when you get to God, he'll lead you. He'll speak to you because you've shown yourself to be trustworthy. Okay? So look, here's the thing. Don't let the fruitcakes of Christmas distract you from the real meaning of Christmas. Don't let all the fruitcake moments and especially gifts and all the hype that comes with giving gifts, receiving gifts, and exchanging gifts, and returning gifts, and re-gifting gifts. Don't let all that distract you from the true meaning of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And the gifts that were given to Jesus that first night, man, they carry powerful messages to us that can help us focus on Christ throughout the season. Bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for the gifts that the Magi gave. Thank you how those gifts recenter us and refocus us on your son. Help us to be focused on him during these coming weeks, during this holiday season. Let us not be distracted by the fruitcakes that the evil one would put in our path that to try to get us off focus and off center and off kilter. But instead, Father, we would focus on you and on your son Jesus, who's changed us. And I thank you for those that today have given their hearts to you. And they would make you, Lord Jesus, king. Help all of us to make you king. Because that's who you are, and that we would prove ourselves trustworthy with everything you've trusted us with. And so walk with us as we walk with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.